Welcome to the Lifehouse Church Podcast. For more information about Lifehouse and our senior pastors, Richard and Helen Kabakian, can be found at lifehouse.com.au. We hope you enjoy the following message. And I want to speak to a message that I call the pressure test. And you know, when I think of a pressure test with God, I, it's not the kind of thing I'm praying, hey God, I really want a pressure test. You know, like I don't think of it as a positive thing. But if you think about uh, an, uh, a pipe that's used to extract uh, a very expensive commodity called oil from the ocean, well, what they do before they use that pipe to take the oil from the ocean is they do a thing called a pressure test for that particular pipe. And what they'll do is they'll, they'll put mass amounts of pressure through the pipe. And the reason they do that is to see whether or not the pipe has any cracks, any weak spots. And, and, but they, once the pressure reveals the cracks or the weak spots, they don't throw the pipe away. What they do is they send experts to the weak spots, to the cracks, and those ex, experts, they, they repair, they strengthen the, the, the weak area so that the pipe can be used for the purpose that it was made to be used for, which is to carry the expensive commodity called oil. It's the same with us. Sometimes God allows seasons in our life where we actually go through pressure. And what the pressure does is it reveals cracks that we couldn't see when we were going through a good season. When everything was going great, we couldn't see. But when the pressure comes, now the, the weakness, now the cracks, we can't not see them. They're revealed. But God also, He doesn't just throw the vessel away, but He sends the expert, the Holy Spirit, to come and attend and repair and with our cooperation to, to, to strengthen the, the weak spots so that we too can be used for the incredible purpose that we're on the planet to be used for. The reality is we live in a world, and especially today, where it is a pressurized situation. For many people, you might have lost your jobs or, you know, you, you can't leave the home or maybe it's a health challenge or maybe there's massive amounts of fear. And, and so, but, but even in life at times, we sometimes live in a pressurized kind of situation. And, and you know, uh, I think today there's, you know, more people with anxiety than we've ever had on the planet. There's people, more people with depression and suicide and many of these kind of things. You know, I remember a story of a young lady who, it was about four years ago, and she was uh, at a church that I preached at in Auckland, New Zealand. And so uh, I was preaching, and some of her friends, she was actually in the psychiatric ward. She was about, I think, about 22. She had just tried to kill herself for the 10th time since she was 13 years old. She had been diagnosed with almost every mental illness that you could possibly imagine. But some of her friends, they knew I was speaking and that I ministered to this kind of thing. So they went to the psychiatric ward and they asked if she could come and, and be a part of the, six, the, the night service. And so she came and I did this big altar call for people that needed freedom from, you know, brokenness. And, and so, and I remember there's about 200 people came to the altar and for some reason she stood out to me. And I remember walking, it was a high kind of altar and I walked over and I grabbed her hand and I just started to pray. And I started to prophesy. And I, I don't know her story. And she's just tried to end her life. And I started to prophesy. I said, you know, you've had trouble sleeping and because of all the stuff that's been going on. But I said, you know what? Tonight, you're about to have the greatest sleep that you've had in more than a decade. And she's weeping and the power of God is touching her. And she just radically gets free. 
And so she radically gets free. And, and, and you know, she goes back to the uh, psychiatric ward and they were so astounded with how different she was that she was completely normal that they actually tried to diagnose her with something else because they said, there's no way that you can be the person that we've known you to be for so long, but now you're completely normal. You know, that girl stayed normal forever. Six months after, she actually made, directed a movie about her friend that had actually taken her life to bring suicide awareness. She's won so many awards. Peter Jackson has followed her for two years because he's making a movie about her life. She has spoken to the UN in New York City. She's won every award that you can imagine in New Zealand. And I just want to tell you that no matter how pressurized you feel, suicide is never the answer. Jesus is always the answer. Jesus can turn any single situation around, no matter how broken or messed up you feel it is, Jesus can turn it around and use it for his good. You know, many of you, probably already know, and I know many people have done this already, but right now we offer a program called A Freedom Experience, and we have a website which is afreedomexperience.com. We have a 21-day mind renewal God encounter uh, online journey, and we've, we've seen hundreds of people get free of anxiety, depression, and so many other things. And through coronavirus, we just want to be the answer and so rather than charge the normal $47, we're actually making it free for the first 30 days so that you can access the course, do it for free. So if you just go to the website and put when it comes to the code, use the code BLESSED and you'll get that 100% for free. Tell your friends about it because we just want to be the answer in this particular season. You know, there's a guy in the Bible that uh, he had um, a pressure test and he went through a journey. His name was Elijah. And Elijah's journey, maybe you haven't read this story for a while, he starts off and, and he goes to the king, the evil king Ahab, and he says to him, he says, hey, it's not going to rain for the next, you know, a long period of time. And he was married to a more evil woman called Jezebel. And uh, Ahab, uh, sorry, Elijah then, he, he, he leaves there and he, he goes to a, a place called Kirith Ravine where he drinks from the brook and ravens feed him from the sky. God then calls him again and he goes to a place called Zarephath where a widow provides for him oil and flour that never runs out through this drought. Uh, while he's there, the widow's son actually dies and Elijah comes and brings him back to life. Eventually, it leads to the pinnacle of Elijah's life where he stands before 450 Baal prophets. The whole nation had turned away from God. And he says to them, hey, you put a, uh, you know, a bull in your altar and I'll put one in mine and we'll both ask for fire to come and whoever's God answers by fire, that's the real God. And Elijah calls fire from heaven and the sacrifice is consumed and the whole nation comes back to God. What an amazing thing, a national revival. And they kill the 450 Baal prophets. Then it's amazing because the next day, Jezebel, the wicked queen, she speaks one word to him and she says, by this time tomorrow, you'll be dead. And it sends this man of God into a spin. He ends up under a tree. He ends up suicidal. He ends up saying, God, just take me. I'm finished. I failed like all of my ancestors before me. Eventually, he, angels come and they feed him and he makes his way up to a cave. See, often, and one of the things we've got to be careful of is when pressure comes, we look, we look for caves of escapism. 
We look for places to hide because we don't want to deal with what the pressure is actually bringing out of us. And he ends up in a cave and God comes and he speaks to him. And remember, the fire comes and God wasn't in the fire. The earthquake comes and God wasn't in the earthquake. And the wind comes, God wasn't in the wind. But then the still small voice of God, it brings him out of the cave and God speaks to Elijah. And I'm just going to give you three things because this was a pressure test where I feel like Elijah, he missed it a little bit. But there's some things that we can learn. And I want to give you three things in a pressure test that we need to understand. And the first one is this, is you've got to understand it's God's voice or word that sustains us. See, I want you to look at the start of Elijah's life. Elijah reached this pinnacle. He did incredible things for God. But how did his life start? Well, he started, he heard the voice of God. In other words, God said, and he said, I want you to go to the Kirith Ravine. So he, he heard the voice, he went to this place, and what did he do? He drank from the brook, picture of the Holy Spirit, and the food came from heaven, from the ravens. He was fed with food from heaven. And again, what that is, it's a picture of him drinking and partaking from the Holy Spirit and eating the food, the Word of God that comes from heaven. It's a picture of closeness with God. He was being sustained by the Word. Then because he's close, he hears the voice again. Now I want you to go to a place called Zarephath. And a widow there will provide for you. And he goes, see, see, let me just sidetrack for one moment. See, your provision is often where God's called you to go, not where you are right now. See, what we all want is God, give me the provision and then I'll go. God says, no, 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 I'll call you to go and the provision is waiting for you in the place that I've called you to be. And so again, he goes, he hears the voice, he goes to Zarephath, and what happens is he's fed oil and oil and bread. Again, a pitcher, oil is the Holy Spirit, and bread is the, the Word of God. And so Elijah starts off on this journey where he's being sustained by the Word of God. He, he's being, in other words, he's living out of the overflow. You know, God's called us to live out of the overflow. And what that means is that the Word is already in you before you even need it. See, when you go to the doctors and they give you a bad diagnosis, the way God wants you to live is you've already got the Word so in you that you know that He's a healer. Yes, it still comes as a shock, but the Word is in me and flows out of me. Maybe you lose your job, and yes, that's a blow, and yes, it's a shock, but you know what? The Word is already in me, and I already know that He's my provider. I already know that He's my provision, and it's a thing of living out of the overflow, and we see that Elijah was living out of the overflow. See, the thing is, if you get to a place in your life where the Word's not in you and you face a challenge, let me tell you, the answer is to still put the Word in you regardless. It just works way better if it's already in you before you actually need it. See, the Word of God is what sustains you more than ever as we go through this season. We need to be sustained by the Word of God. And then we see Elijah, he comes to this place and you can check this out in 1 Kings 19 verse 1 to 4, but I'm just going to tell you, the guys could put it on the screen, what happens. But this is where Jezebel speaks one word to him. She says, by this time tomorrow, you'll be dead. He goes on to say that he was afraid. He was afraid and he left and he ended up under a tree suicidal. See, this is the first time we see Elijah listening to the wrong voice. 
And when you listen to the wrong voice, you'll end up in the wrong place. See, the start of Elijah's journey, we see this man of God hungry for God, desperate for God. He's listening to the right voice. He's being sustained by the Word and he keeps ending up in exactly the right place. But this is the first time we hear him, see him listening to the wrong voice and fear comes and fear causes him to end up in the wrong place. Let me tell you, as we go through this, this, st- this stage of life that no one has ever seen before, that if you listen, to the wrong voice, if you let fear speak to you, you'll end up in the wrong vo- in the wrong place. But if you just keep listening to the Word of God, being sustained by the Word of God, regardless of what's happening, you'll end up in the right place. It goes on to show us in verse 5 and 7 of chapter 19 where angels come to him and they have to feed him. And one of the angels, in my own words, it says something like this, you need this because you don't have enough to get you where you need to be. In other words, Elijah, you've ran out of gas. Elijah, you started this particular way where you were so full, where you were being sustained. But Elijah, you've ran out. Elijah, there's nothing else left in you to get you to where you need to go. And eventually he goes up in the cave. And again, just for time's sake, you can read this for yourself in 1 Kings 19, 11 and 13. It's where God says to him, Elijah, I'm going to speak to you. But then it's weird because then God does three things, the fire, the earthquake, and the wind, and it says, but God wasn't in those. And then fire came, and he said, but I'm not in the fire. The wind came, and I'm not in the wind. The earthquake came, and I'm in the, wind, in the earthquake. And, and I remember praying, I was like, God, why did you do that? It seems so unusual. And this is what I believe. See, I believe that Elijah had started to, to, to think that actually what he did for God would actually be the thing that sustained him rather than being connected to God would be the thing that sustained him. See, when, when God brought the fire and said, Elijah, I'm not in the fire, he was speaking directly to Elijah because Elijah knew what it was to stand on Mount Carmel and, and literally lift your hands and call fire from heaven and it literally consumed the, the thing. But what God was saying is, Elijah, it's not the miracle you did for me that sustains who you are. Elijah, remember when you started and it was all about drinking from the brook. It was all about finding the food from heaven. It was all about eating the oil and the bread that came from me. It's not about what you do for me, but it's about you connecting with me. And then again, uh, God says to him, the, 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 the wind comes, it shatters the rocks, but God says, but I'm not in the wind. See, because Elijah, God was speaking specifically because he knew that Elijah stood there holding a lifeless dead boy and Elijah lifted his voice and he watched the breath of God bring that little boy back to life. And God was communicating, Elijah, these might be incredible miracles that you do for me, but it's not what you do for me that sustains you. It's when you connect with me that sustains you. And again, the earthquake, because Elijah, he had seen political systems shake. He had seen weather systems shake. But God was communicating, Elijah, it's not what you do for me that sustains me. That actually takes from you. It's being connected to me that sustains you. And Elijah, then eventually the still small voice of God, and Elijah puts his head over his, his cloak over his head, because I believe Elijah remembered in that moment that, man, when I started out this journey, it was all about connecting with God. It was all about partaking of his word. It was all about being hungry 
for God and God was looking for that same Elijah that was hungry. He failed to miss the moment. See, in other words, that, that, that what sustained him and got him to his pinnacle would also be the thing that kept him at the pinnacle, but he missed the moment. You know, the second thing that I see in Elijah's life that I, I believe he failed to see is this, and it sounds a bit cliche, but it's this simple statement that new levels equals new devils. See, Elijah killed 450 Baal prophets. And if you were to think about those 450 Baal prophets, they're like 450 individual demons. And Elijah slayed the 450 individual demons. And sometimes when we start to take ground, maybe we just got born again. Maybe our marriage was on the rocks, but we seek God and we got counseling and we prayed and we've turned it around. Or maybe our business was in such a slump, but we, we pressed in and we started to get victory. And so often when we start to get victory in a certain area, maybe we had some kind of bondage that, that, that had us kept there for so long, but we, we pressed in and we, we, we fought the fight and we overcame. And so often what we expect is that the devil it almost comes with a, a welcoming party and says, hey, I, I just want to congratulate you on your new promotion in the kingdom of God. And that's not how it works. See, when you start taking ground, all of a sudden you become a bigger target. And I believe that Elijah failed to see this. You know, the amazing thing that after they slayed the 450 prophets, the thing that happens next, someone needs to hear this right now, this is powerful. The thing that happens next is for the first time, I think in seven years, it starts to rain. The atmosphere starts to change and the rains, they've killed the 450 individual demons and now the atmosphere starts to shift and it starts to rain upon everybody. See, that's what happens. Maybe you're someone that generationally anxiety's been in your family forever. Maybe your mother suffered with anxiety. Maybe her mother suffered with anxiety. Maybe you have, but you're the person that says, you know what? I'm gonna be the one that stops anxiety in my family. I'm gonna be the woman that fights that spirit of fear that literally comes against that fear and I'm gonna cut it off right now at me. You know what happens when you win that battle? The atmosphere starts to change change and now it starts to rain on your children and they start to inherit the blessing and favor of God for a battle that they didn't even fight for somebody else fought so that rain could could come upon the people after us I got two little boys and if you look back into my whole family there is addiction after addiction after addiction many of my aunties uncles cousins parents have struggled with substance abuse but I'm telling you there's two little boys Boys that are not going to struggle with addiction because my wife and I made a decision that we're going to fight some demons of addiction so that it would rain upon two boys called Josiah and Caleb and they could become everything God's called them to be. See, Elijah failed to see this principle though. He beat the 450 demons, but now Jezebel was about to speak. Jezebel doesn't represent an individual demon. She represents a principality and power. She was the one that was controlling the 450 Baal prophets. See, it's not just her words that literally changed everything. I mean, have you ever had that happen just like Elijah where one word can change everything? One email, one diagnosis, one phone call. You had a whole heap of business lined up. You thought you were going to be okay, but it was one call that kind of changed everything. 
maybe a partner that left you. It was one letter, one phone call, one moment. This is what happened to Elijah. And one word, one message from this Jezebel sent him suicidal, but it's not, she didn't just represent a normal woman, she represented a demonic power. When she spoke those words, they had oppressive spirits. There was an oppressive power on it that sent him into a spin. And see, we've got to recognize the more that we start to go up in the kingdom of God, the more the enemy comes at us. And, and I want you to understand, I want to be clear, we need to be aware of this principle, but not focused on it. Have you ever met those people and every time you meet them, they want to tell you everything the devil's doing in their life? I don't want to be focused. I want to be aware that I do have an adversary, but I'm focused on the fact that greater is he that lives in me than he that's in the world. I'm focused on the fact that yes, I have an enemy, but he's already a defeated foe because of the blood of Jesus Christ but we need to be aware of this principle because the more we're aware of this principle, the more we actually buckle down into point number one. The more that I understand that I do have an adversary and the more that I go up, the more attention I get, the more I buckle down into understanding that, you know what, I need to be sustained by the Word of God. I need to be someone that keeps drinking the Holy Spirit. I need to be someone that keeps partaking of the Word of God. And then the last point is this, and we'll close with this is the last one is this, is number three, you've got to come out of the cave and get real with God. You know, like I said, one message, it just completely rocked him. And see, the thing that happens with pressure is when pressure comes, it reveals cracks. We couldn't see those cracks before when everything was going awesome. They were still there. See, the cracks, what they represent is dysfunction. They, they represent addictions. They represent weakness. And, and if you were to think about me as a, a illuminated light on the inside, and when pressure shows a few cracks, now what happens is imagine this light, this illuminated light, <coughs> excuse me, just beaming out of me. Before I couldn't even see the crack, but now because of the pressure, I can't not see the crack. I can't not see the dysfunction, the weakness, because the pressure's revealing it. And often what the temptation does in that moment is I look for a cave. I look for somewhere I can hide. See, because in a cave it's dark and it's harder to see my weakness. See, a cave, it might represent way too much Netflix. It may represent social media. It may represent gossiping or too much alcohol or some kind of substance. It may uh, represent pornography. It could represent anything. And of course, there are some caves that are more destructive than others. But let's be real, a cave is a cave. A cave is just something that we're hiding in so that we don't have to deal with the real problem. See, God uses pressure to deal with the stuff to make us stronger. You know, a great Navy SEAL quote, it says, when pressure comes, you don't rise to the occasion you sink to the level of your training. See, what pressure does is it simply reveals where you're really at. You know the scripture where it says, you know, tribulation causes character, character, perseverance, and perseverance, hope. Like when I read that and I go through tribulation, I think, I don't know if that's true. It doesn't sound true to me. Because if you think about this, when I go through major tribulation, let's say someone offends me in a bad way, someone treats me really bad or circumstances fully go against me. 
It often doesn't reveal great character in me. Normally it does the opposite. It reveals lack of character. I say some words that I shouldn't say. I get some attitudes that I shouldn't have. My thoughts go to places that they shouldn't go. And so normally what tribulation, what pressure does in me, it is actually reveals lack of character. But now that I can see the lack of character, which I couldn't see before, the pressure lets me see the lack of character. Now I can start to work on the lack of character, then in turn produce character, which actually brings perseverance and hope. You know, there's this moment where, and you can read it for yourself in 1 Kings 19, 12 to 13, where God asks Elijah a question and he says, Elijah, why are you here? Why are you here? And Elijah gives this answer. He's still in the cave and he says, well, you know, in my own words, he says, I'm the only one that's zealous for you and they're, they're killing everyone and I'm the only one left and I'm the only one that's been zealous. And then the fire comes, the earthquake and the wind and the still small voice of God. And when he hears the still small voice of God, it brings you out of the cave. Let me tell you, when you're trapped in a cave of addiction, it's always the still small voice of God that will bring you out. And he hears the voice that brings him out. And now he's outside of his cave, but God asks him the question again. He says, Elijah, why are you here? And when we ask the question, the same question twice, as humans, there's three reasons why we might do that. But with God, there's only one. Like as humans, it might be that, well, I didn't really hear your answer properly. So I'm gonna ask the question again. God doesn't have a problem with hearing. Or this one happens a lot in marriages. Uh, I ask you a question, you answer, Jackie answers me and I don't understand what you're saying because we speak a different language, so I ask the same question again. God doesn't have a problem with understanding. He knew your answer before you even answered. When God asks the exact same question again, he's letting you know you gave the wrong answer and he's giving you another opportunity to answer correctly. Elijah completely misses this moment. Because Elijah verbatim, he gives God the exact same answer again. I'm the only one that's zealous. They've killed everyone except me. I'm the only one. And I actually believe Elijah missed the moment there to get real with God. To, to, and I don't know what it was for Elijah. I know there's one moment where he's under the tree and he says, you know, I failed just like all of my ancestors. Maybe he needed to get real with God and say, God, all of my family have failed. And since I was a little boy, I knew that one day I'd fail. And when Jezebel spoke those words, it brought every, God help me with this. I don't know what it was for him, but I believe he missed a moment that actually cost him. Because God then actually says to him, he says, Elijah, I want you to go and anoint Elisha who will take over from you. He says, I want you to anoint Jehu who will take down Jezebel and I want you to anoint Hazel who will become king. You know the amazing thing, and I'd never seen this in the word before, but Elijah went from this moment and he anointed Elisha and then eventually the chariots of heaven came and took him to heaven. And Elijah never anointed Hazel. He never anointed Jehu. It was Elisha who finished the work of God. And I actually believe there comes a point where when pressure keeps coming and we don't deal with the stuff God wants us to deal with, eventually he'll find someone else to do the thing that he called us to do. Now, don't get me wrong, God's a God of grace. And Elijah is still a legend that did incredible things. He's one of only two men that never died. He's a hero, he appears again, but he didn't 100% fulfill everything that God asked him to do. I believe because he couldn't get real and come out of his cave. 
You know, a little while ago, and I'll finish with this story, but we had a guy called Mike Connell who moves powerfully in deliverance. And he came to our church and God spoke to me. He said, take three weeks off. And because he was going to be there for the whole three weeks, don't preach away. Don't worry about earning money. I'll look after you. And so I blocked out my calendar and I drove this man of God for three weeks. I took him to every meeting that he did at our church. And, and, and you know, up until that point in September, I was doing amazing. I was probably in one of the greatest seasons I've ever had. We just launched Freedom Experience, amazing testimonies. I, I, the first day I pick up Pastor Mike Connell and as soon as I got around him, all of this stuff started to rise up within me. And each day as I got around him, all of these insecurities, rejection, stuff that I hadn't felt for so long. And it was amazing. The more I got around him, the more it started to get up and I'm talking about all this stuff. It eventually gets to this crescendo where Pastor Mike Connell's about to minister to about 100 of our staff at a staff retreat. And I knew something was coming. There was stuff just coming up. And it got to this moment where he called us forward and I began to weep. And I'm not talking just normal crying, I'm talking ugly crying for like 20 minutes. I think there's staff members that were there with me and they're in counselling today just because they saw me crying. That's how bad it was. Pastor Mike Connell eventually comes and I'm just crying, you know, for 20 minutes and he comes and he prays and he says, spirit of rejection and abandonment come off him and the power of God hits me and I end up on the floor. It was a powerful moment. But then the amazing thing was Pastor Mike kind of left and I probably went through one of the toughest seasons I've ever been through in my 20 years of Christianity. For four years, we've been on this journey to get a green card, spent twenty dollars to $30,000, all to get to this point where we would lodge and then become permanent and get this green card. We literally get to the moment, this was about a month after Pastor Mike Connell, we get to the moment we're about to lodge. We've paid $20,000, $30,000 over four years. We're ready to go. We're at the finish line. And then the lawyers find something about my, my past that happened 23 years ago that was so minor, but it disqualifies me from ever getting a green card. It's one of the biggest blows. I'm still believing for a miracle, but that's kind of the, what we're dealing with. But it was one of the biggest blows that I've ever felt of disappointment. Then after that, I had some different things that happened with key people in my life, a little, few little frustrations and things. And I went to the darkest place I'd ever been. I felt like Elijah where I was under a tree saying, God, I can't do this anymore. And eventually I pushed through it. I sought out wisdom and some counseling. And for two or three months, I started to deal with the rejection that had been in my life for 20 years, but I couldn't see it. But now that the pressure was on me, I couldn't not see it. It was a tough time. I remember coming out of it and weeping in God's presence. You know, even the green card thing, if you think about it, that's the ultimate rejection. That's a country saying, we don't want you. And I remember God speaking to me and he said, Lucas, I had to let you feel like you'd been abandoned so that you could deal with the abandonment that was in your life. You know, I, it was the hardest three months of my life, but I wouldn't change it for the world. See, when we go through pressure, it's about what God wants to do in us. Can I tell you with this last thing, we felt God speak to us on a Thursday to pack up our whole house in America, quickly come back to Australia. We're coming back again in about four months once this is all over. But we moved our whole house in five days. We're on aeroplanes five days later. And can I tell you, it was easy. And I don't say that as a proud thing, but I could actually feel going through this season, I'm radically different because of what God did in me through September and January. I want to tell you, don't waste this season. Yes, God might be bringing up some stuff, but he's not bringing it up so that he can get rid of the vessel. He's bringing it up 
so that he can heal, so that he can repair, so that he can strengthen. I'm telling you, you're going to come out of this season stronger than you've ever been. Hi, I'm Richard Kabakian, pastor of Lifehouse Church. Just wanted to say thank you for listening to this message and I hope and pray that you feel that it's added value to your life. My greatest desire is to see people develop a personal relationship with Jesus, which can begin by praying a very simple prayer. I'm going to pray that prayer right now. And if you'd like to begin that relationship, you can just repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I need you in my life. I choose you as my only hope of being forgiven. Please come into my life and let me begin a relationship with you that will last for all eternity. If you've prayed that prayer, we would love to know about it and celebrate your fantastic decision. You can do that by sending an email to mydecision at lifehouse.com.au. We look forward to hearing from you.